Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Zoe Digital Japan. Get more visitors to your website and convert them into paying customers. Zoe Digital helps foreign companies expand in Japan with digital marketing services. Look for the elephant logo at zoedigital.jp. Well, hello, everyone. This episode, I get to speak with a longtime veteran and real professional from the airline industry. Don Bunkenberg is the senior director of the Lufthansa Group for Japan and Korea. And the Lufthansa Group includes Swiss Airlines, Austrian Airlines, and of course, Lufthansa from Germany. We talk about how Lufthansa competes in the Japan market renowned for its service and hospitality. How each airline within the Lufthansa Group tailors their service offering to reflect the culture of each country. Why Japanese have such an affinity for Germany and how Lufthansa is able to leverage this to their advantage. The steps it takes to actually fill up airplanes day after day. What he's learned from Japan's domestic airlines competitors. Do airline rankings really matter? And why the definition of on time departure means a little more in Japan compared to other countries. This episode will definitely make you want to travel once again, probably on the Lufthansa Group. So, direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Don Bunkenberg. Sweet. Have you ever been on a podcast before? Never. Yeah, I've been interviewed before, but never on an actual podcast. Well, are you nervous? <laughs> no, I'm not. As a matter of fact, I should be probably, but I'm not. <laughs> well, okay. first of all, let's start officially. Kampai. Kampai. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Donna, you've worked for Lufthansa for over 30 years. Started as a sales guy in Chicago in 1989, and here you are now the country manager for Japan and Korea. Why Lufthansa? When I was in high school, I started learning German. You had to take a foreign language, started learning German, and when I got to university, I decided to continue. I was looking for a summer job one summer just to earn money for my studies, and、uh, someone said, Hey, listen, you're learning German. Why don't you try to get a job with Lufthansa at O'Hare Airport in the summer? They always hire extra people.、Yeah. And I said, Wow, that'd be a fun job. Working at the airport, I can practice my German. I love airplanes, airports. People at airports watching people. I love all those things. Fantastic. So I applied, I got the job, and I started really part time, and I did that for a few summers. What were you doing? Check in, arrivals, departures, baggage claims. You know, it was a small operation. There w a s only one or two flights a day in the summer, two flights a day in the summertime. But when I finished my degree,、uh, they asked me if I wanted to stay on with the company. Made a good impression. I made a good impression, and the company made a good impression on me. To, I decided、uh, that I wanted to try it. Did you get to speak much German when you were working summer part time job? I did, yeah, because there w a s a lot of Germans that were actually coming in and visiting Chicago. And my boss also liked to speak German with me, so I did speak a lot of German. Wow. One of those success stories. So now you are the country manager、mm. for the Lufthansa Group Lufthansa, Swiss Airlines, and Austrian Airlines. You can't give 100% of all of your effort and time to all three airlines. So, do you really care if somebody travels to Munich direct on Lufthansa or travels via Vienna on Austrian? 
No, we don't care. Uh, you can go in one direction with one airline and the other direction with the other airline. The whole system of multiple airlines is set up to add flexibility to your itineraries so that you can fly later or earlier or via one hub or via the other hub. It's meant to give more flexibility to the customer. So we don't care if you fly one or the other, actually. Just pick the best routing for yourself. Or your whole career being with Lufthansa, you probably in your heart of hearts, you kind of push the Lufthansa brand a little bit more, maybe? No, not at all. It's a, If you have three children, you have to love them all the same. <laughs> That's the way you see it. That's the way I see it. Being the father of three beautiful children named Lufthansa, Swiss, and Austrian, even when you do have three of your own kids, you got that one that's a little bit nuts. Although you try to love all three equally, each airline has a different offering. They do. The idea behind three brands that, that I'm representing is, is that the experience of those brands needs to be unique to the culture that they come from and the country they come from. And therefore, we have individual brand managers in each of those airlines to make sure the service delivery or the, the aspects of the service from either the food or the ambiance is more in tune with that particular culture. The Swiss, for example, were always concerned about delivering Swissness to the flights, what they call Swissness. Swissness. Swissness means this has to be Swiss. You have to have a feeling that you're on a Swiss flight. What constitutes Swissness? Uh, that's a good question, because I had to learn that myself when we took over actually representing Swiss. It means there is an attention to detail also, but that the cuisine is also based on Swiss cuisine, that all the, all the wines, for example, that are served on board are from Switzerland. Okay. There's Swiss chocolate on board until you can't eat anymore, right? Sure, okay. There is Swiss cheeses on, in offer on board. So the Swissness is a feeling for the country that you you know that you're on a plane. And cuisine is a great way to get that to get that ambiance, that feeling. It certainly is. Sure. But for example, on Austrian, you know, one of the cultural aspects of Austria, specifically Vienna, is the cafe culture. Uh, Coffee yeah. and cafes. It's a lifestyle. So we have on board, not only on the Austrian flight, do you have a, a chef on board that mm. prepares in business class all of the individual meals. It's an individual chef. That's all he does is prepare the yeah. meals. And he comes out, he's got the hat on, you know, the, the, the yes. chef hat. And, and then they have a special service they call the coffee a la carte service, which they, you get a, a specific menu that has like 10 different types of coffees on no there. No kidding. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's delivered just like you would be delivering it in an Austrian and a Viennese cafe, wow. yeah? And so these are the touches that somehow differentiate one brand from the other and one feeling from the other. Right. Very, very important for us. And we want to make that differentiation because it brings variety. It also brings flavor to the, to yeah. the service that's, that's a, little, a little different. How about the amenity kits? A lot of the airlines, they also tailor or culturally tailor their amenity kits mm to their country. Does Swiss and Austrian and Lufthansa do the same? Definitely, yeah. It's something that we, you know, from an airline, so you've got three brands, but you could take the synergy of those three brands and say, listen, we can reduce our cost of amenity yeah. kits by ordering all the same ones for all the same airlines. And there's, that's a cost item that you can reduce, but we choose not to do that. We say, no, the amenity kit is part of the service differentiation, and that should reflect 
what we want to bring on board in terms of a feeling. And many of the things in the amenity kits, of course, are from those specific countries, whether it be, you know, the creams that you put on your yeah. hands or perfume that you might get here. They're, all the things that are in there yeah. are normally a fairly, you know, high-end brand from That's that cool. country. So you're, you're selling things from that country yeah. on, on that amenity kit. Many so. years ago, I used to fly KLM. They have those little Delft Blue porcelain houses yeah. that change. They're like super collectibles, too. Yeah. And they've been doing it for years. There's decades. hundreds. Decades. Oh, decades. Yeah. Yeah, those are really cool. Mm, it has. People collect those things. Yeah, they've been successful at marketing that also. It's like, you know, fly us and you get the next version. <laughs> Getting back to your career at Lufthansa, you've held a lot of different positions. The sales, well, I, I didn't know that you did the baggage and the check-in even before that, but you've also been in business development, alliance management, cargo, airport services. Did you ever want to try being a flight attendant? No, I never was interested in being a flight attendant, but I was interested in being a pilot when I was younger. That was one of my one of my goals was to be a pilot. Tried to get into the U.S. Uh, Air Force Academy, but didn't make it. Uh, I started actually flying instructions when I was at the university. Decided at that time that even though I wanted to be a pilot, there weren't that many jobs as pilots at that time. There were a lot of pilots being laid off and. And I thought, yeah, it would be my dream to fly, but uh, I never, never unfortunately made it to be a pilot. You could have become a private pilot later in life. Did you ever try that? I could have. And I had a, a friend of mine was uh, an instructor on Long Island when I was living there. And I did a few, uh, a few lessons with him. And he would take me up in his small plane. And uh, I, I did actually fly. Yeah. Uh, but I never got a pilot's license. I never stuck with it long enough, unfortunately. Regret? Yes. That is a regret uh, because I had the opportunity, I had the time, but I didn't prioritize it, which uh, I regret now. There's a song about regrets, and <laughs> apparently we've had a few. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you have held top managerial positions in the USA, China, Singapore, Germany, and now Japan from a professional perspective. What makes working in Japan special versus the other countries I just mentioned? I think our business partners here are, are extremely reliable. We work together very closely with ANA, the largest Japanese airline, which everybody knows, top quality, globally known. They're a joint venture partner with us on the routes from here to Europe. So we work very closely yeah. with, uh, with ANA. They're part of the Star Alliance. They're, they're part of Star, but we have actually a deeper relationship with them than just Star Alliance. How so? A joint venture. So that means that all the revenue that we generate is generated together from Japan to Europe. We offer code share flights. We have also uh, a different uh, um, you know, joint lounges, joint corporate contracts. Joint. So we do a lot of joint activities to promote our okay. business together. So it's a little it's deeper than, than what it, us, an alliance is. Sounds interesting. It is interesting, and it makes, I think, uh, it more interesting because I'm actually working with a very professional, very reliable partner, and that's, I think, one of the advantages of working here in Japan is that you can count on things. You can count on people. You can count on them getting back to you when they say they're going to get back to you or following through on what they're, they were asking or what we were asking them to do. 
Um, it's very predictable also. There's sometimes surprises in other parts of the world that t take you by surprise and you wonder where did that come from. But that's one of the things I like here Is also. Is the importance of a on-time departure more important in this country than, say, in other countries you've worked in? Oh, yes. Definitely. In some countries I've worked in, the on-time departure was just a suggestion. <laughs> okay. The flip side of that question is, what are some of the challenges of working in the Japan market compared to these other countries where you've managed? Even though it's professional and I think Japanese companies have clearly been able to create a, a very impressive global footprint of high quality products when you talk about the Sonys of the world or the Toyotas of the world. Very global, very successful, good quality, but sometimes the pace of, of development is slow in certain areas. We're talking about that also with certain technology issues we have within our business that we would like to see moved ahead these things don't move so quickly here. The Japanese take a while to sort of digest things, decide what they want to do. Once they have the vision or once they have the will, it goes fairly quickly, but it takes them a while to get there. Right. And that, I think, can be frustrating. And why do you think that is? There's multiple reasons. I think one is there's this no-risk culture, uh, no mistake culture. Yep. Nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody wants to take a risk. They want to right. think it through before they start anything so that nothing goes wrong. Nothing yeah. can ever go wrong. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons. Extremely careful about putting anything into motion before it's thoroughly thought through. And I see it also a lot with my, when I deal with, for example, my, my staff here, my colleagues. When we go through certain scenarios, they always have tons of questions. What about this? What if this happens? What if that happens? What are we going to do if this happens? And I, I think sometimes, well, do we really have to plan for all of these contingencies or can we just right. really move ahead? But it shows you the nature of, of risk aversion in this country. Yeah. Two comments on that. Risk avoidance is often stated as one of the characteristics of the Japanese. I agree, but I believe there's a better way to say it, and that is uncertainty avoidance because Japanese do take risks but they'll take the risk once they understand that there is a high chance of success and avoidance of uncertainty is also a good way to look at it but my second point is aren't the Germans a bit like that as well yes they are they also have, have a culture of no mistakes, of, of planning for every contingency before you start a project or before you bring a product to market. So they're very similar to the Japanese in that regard. The big difference, though, between Japan and Germany is that Germans are very blunt and very straightforward. Oh, yes, big time, yes. And you're stuck in the middle between your Japan team and your German team. How do you deal with that? Well, between the teams, we have quite a few people in our team here that are international. In other words, they've lived in other countries. They live in Germany. They studied in Australia or the United States. So there's not a problem. They know that there are cultural differences and they, they're okay with it. And many of them have worked long-term long with Lufthansa. So they know the, this type of approach of the Germans and they accept it. Yeah. It's okay. 
you sometimes have to act as like a shock absorber. There's enough cultural awareness also within our German teams that you don't have to become a, a shock absorber sure. so much. We're, we're a global company. We're an international company. There is a feeling for, for other cultures. It may not be the case with other companies, but I think with us, we're, we're quite okay. In the aviation industry, Japan is one of the most demanding markets in the world. The level of service offered by your domestic competitors is internationally well known. How does Lufthansa compete in a market, Japan, where so much emphasis is put on hospitality and service? I think you can say that also the Europeans are very professional with hospitality and service. For example, some of the best hotels in the world are in Europe. If you look at the service levels and the training that people go through in Europe true. From, yeah. from the hotel side, yeah. you have also this very high level of service culture, very similar to Japan. The most famous hotel schools are all in Austria, Switzerland, Germany. Exactly, exactly. So you do have that culture, that service culture there. It's slightly different in Japan. From our perspective, we also try to incorporate that aspect into the people that we hire. It's very important that if you have onboard service, that you have people that want to serve, that want to be with a customer. And so the profile of people that we hire, for example, as flight attendants, are people that have worked with the service background. We look for people that have worked in restaurants or have yeah. worked in hotels or have this type of training and, and want to be out there. Not everybody is meant to be a service person, right? You know, Lufthansa is actually with the only five-star airline in Europe. I don't know if you knew that. No, I do. You, you have an airplane yeah. that says five-star Hansa. That's right. You're right. You got that. That's our attempt at marketing that, right? Uh, <laughs> attempt. And attempt. That's actually pretty clever. Yeah, we, we are the only European, actually at the Western, Western Hemisphere, we're the only five-star airline. And, and we, we earned that. And ANA is a five-star airline, and, yep. uh, and so is Japan Airlines. As a matter of fact, I've made a couple of speeches when we did joint joint events with, uh, with customers with ANA, and I would say we are a 10-star joint venture. That was oh. my... <laughs> but they thought it was funny, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The training is a key reason that we're, we're so successful because we're constantly bringing our people for either service training or safety training or cultural awareness training. There's multiple modules that, that, right. that our flight attendants go through. Cultural training? Yeah. Yeah, they do cultural training. I mean, if you're flying all the international routes that Lufthansa flies, sure, uh, you're flying, you know, to India. We're flying to South America. We're flying to Japan, Singapore. Okay, we are a truly global airline. So you have to make sure that your, particularly your flight attendants, are sensitized to how a customer might act or react. They have to have some sort of cultural training so that they're aware of that cultural training. This is really interesting because I have a, a friend of mine. He was on my podcast. His name is Tim Sullivan. He did some workshops with Hawaiian Airlines before they started flying to Haneda. He gave some Japan cross-cultural workshops with Hawaiian Airlines. His message to them was don't try to be Japanese because you can't win that one. But be truly Hawaiian. The Aloha spirit is your USP. Embrace that and be yourself. So what would the Lufthansa message or USP be 
when you're flying on Lufthansa between Japan and Germany? Our USP is something that Japanese hold in high regard. Reliability, on-time performance, clean aircraft, efficient crews. The essence of what we do and what we are appeals to a Japanese traveler. They want to see a clean plane, they want to see a friendly crew, uh, they want to see a good organization with boarding. So these things we, we do actually very well. That's the one thing. The other thing though is, is that you do have Japanese customers on board that you would like to also please. So we offer, for example, Japanese special meals. So you can choose, for example, in business and in first class, you can actually choose between a Western meal or a Japanese meal. We have Japanese flight attendants on board. We have also Japanese entertainment programs on board. So we try to make them feel comfort. We know we're not Japanese, but we also know that we want to also please them and make them happy. So we give them the choice also of the certain Japanese aspects in the service. When I talk about cultural training, we do that also in a lot of different areas. For example, there was a, a great campaign in India. It was an ad campaign basically running saying, Lufthansa, more Indian than you think. <laughs> okay. And, and the reason was is because we had Indian flight attendants on board, we had Indian food on board, we had Indian suppliers that we yeah. were working with. The whole appeal was to say, hey, listen, you're, you're, from, you're Indian. We know how to treat you. Right. Uh, I don't know if that would work in Japan, though. If you said Lufthansa more Japanese no, than you think, that you wouldn't. No, no. But I think I'm trying. What I, point I'm trying to make is that that we try to adapt also culturally uh, as best we can, yeah. knowing that our core values and our and the core product that we're yeah. going to be delivering is something that is appealing to the Japanese. That's a good point. I assume you've flown on ANA to Germany. Oh yeah. Okay. Have you ever flown on JAL? Yes to see what the competition is doing or what was the reason for that? That's part of the reason, to see what the competition is doing, definitely. Did you glean any unique insight into flying on JAL or ANA that you thought, hey, you know, maybe at Lufthansa we should try something like this? We do look at what the competition is doing or what our friendly partners are doing. What do they come up with that's more innovative or a nice touch or whatever? Do you have any examples of maybe you saw the competition doing something that you thought was maybe a bit better than what you do? Yeah, there's always something you can learn and and say, listen, this is a nice Nice touch. A a nice touch, definitely a nice touch. And I'll I'll give you an example. In order to become a five-star airline, we had to change a lot of our onboard procedures and our onboard processes because the company that designates you as a five-star airline, they give you a whole list of things that you have to accomplish or have to offer to the customer to become a five-star. Is this Skytrax? It's Skytrax. They told us, they said, listen, your onboard service is, it's very process-driven. It's very process-oriented. And what I mean by that is that you get on board, people sit down, and the flight attendants come out, let's say in business class, they give you your welcome drink. And then takeoff comes, and then you have your drink service coming through with the carts. Then you have your meal service coming through and with the carts. But it's all based on the process and not the individual customer. So they said, you have to change your whole onboard service to have it much more personalized than what you're doing right now. And so that was a huge change for us. Wow. Uh, and, and that's exactly what an ANA or the Japanese right. do. That's what a Singapore Airlines does. And you notice it on board that the minute you get on board, they see you, they engage you as an individual. Yeah. Not like, okay, let's wait till the passengers get on board sure. and then we'll start this. That's the process. 
It's the difference between service and hospitality. That's a good way to put it. It's exactly the difference. What we had to redo is not only the service concept, how do we engage a customer, when do we engage the customer, but also how do we individually focus on that customer needs, which means we had to change all of our onboard process. We had to change our service concept. We had to change the mentality of our flight attendants and, and have them then be able to implement it. And it wasn't easy because they were used to having this old, very organized process-driven service delivery. Right. In a way, that's empowerment, though. Most Western cultures embrace empowerment. It's true. Going back to what I said earlier, you try to hire people who want to be giving service, right? And so you have to put tools in their hands to be able to deliver a good experience to the customer. You have to give them empowerment to make decisions or to engage a customer on an individual basis. Now, it can be harder work on board. It's not, you know, it's easy just to have the process, now come right. the drinks, now comes the food, blah, blah, blah. Having this individual attention. If you have 40 people in business class, you yeah. have 40 different processes in right. a way. Whereas before you had one. Right. It's more intense. It's more work intensive for them. I think it's tougher. But they accepted it. They accepted the training. They accepted the the changes in the process and the whole engagement of the customer. That's cool. Segways into my next question about airline rankings. Every year, Skytrax has best airlines of the year. Forbes has a list. J.D. Powers has a list. Lufthansa is usually always in the top 10, but it's usually toward the bottom of the top 10, seven, eight, nine. ANA is usually in the top five. When these rankings come out, do they carry any weight? If you're in the top 10, that's pretty good. Anna's number five or whatever. Does it mean anything to airline professionals? Yes, definitely. Whenever one of these lists comes out, I look to see where are the airlines that I'm representing. Where's Lufthansa, where's Swiss, where's Austrian? Because they also have sometimes subcategories to the list. You have the general list of the top 10, then you have the best first class, the best business class, best economy class, best European service, best domestic service. So you have all these categories. Low fare carrier. Exactly, so you have all these, these, these categories. And you hope that you're the best in some of them, right? And many times we are the best in, in some of them that are more specific to our route network. But it, it does mean something. We want to be in, in, in the top airline. because. But it also takes a big investment to, to, to get into the top airline echelon, I guess you would say. And what I mean by that is meaning you have to have good quality onboard service, good food on board, good selection of drinks and wines and champagnes and, and lounges, for example. And, and when you're going to a lounge, what is in the lounge? What's being served? What's the, what's the quality of the food like? What is the atmosphere like? So it's not just what you're doing on board that is being judged as an airline. It's really the whole package. All of these things make an impression on, on the rankings yeah. and also on the customers. That's and it's like I said, it's a big investment. If you're in the top 10, that means that you're investing a lot in customer service. That's a good point. Most people think about, when they think of an airline, they think about the in-flight experience. Is it comfortable? Are the seats nice? Is the entertainment robust? Is the food good? But it really starts the second you check in, doesn't it? It starts even before that. It starts when you book. Oh, yeah. If, if you think so. of, there, there's <laughs> steps before that yeah. that you have to work on to make sure that you're accessible and that you, you have a website that's easy to maneuver. So it starts with how the passenger is booking. Uh, you have to make this touch point really easy for them to get into. 
really key is what is the information you're giving the, the passenger digitally, meaning are you going to write to them to say, hey, by the way, your flight is ready for check-in. Oh, by the way, your flight's delayed an hour. Right. By the way, so the, all of these things the customer wants to know, meaning you have to have your information flow going to the customer, uh, and that makes it all easier for them. It's also it's hospitality as well. It is hospitality, definitely. You know, so all of these things you have to think of ev- at every touch point. Yeah. What is the customer experience going to be at that particular touch point? Regarding this in-flight experience, most Western Airlines crew believe, usually unstated, they are there for your safety first. Whereas with Asian Airlines, the mindset or the focus is more on service first. What's your response to that? So I think you have to make sure that flight attendants or your service personnel are very aware of the priority of safety. The service side is also very important. And you shouldn't actually say one is more important than the other in that regard. I've heard that also. Our Mm -hmm. people don't tend to say that. From check-in to deboarding, the service aspect is part of your whole flight experience. The safety part is only in case there's an emergency. And thankfully, emergencies hardly ever happen. So the thing that you feel and remember the most is the service, whereas the safety part of it is something that's invisible. Does that make sense? It does make sense because flying has become so safe. The assumption that the customer has is that the flight will be safe, that nothing's going to happen. That's the assumption. It's a given now. You're not going to have any accidents or incidents. So what happens? What's the differentiator? The differentiator is the service. Yeah, nobody's going to have a problem. So it's a service that people do remember. But you, you, you also have to know that safety trainings and procedures and are also regulated by governments. Keep them up to date on the latest, latest rules and regulations and procedures. So this is all regulated by the government. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why you feel also so safe because it's not every airline just deciding hey we're just going to do this for safety or we're going to put that process in place or this procedure the government is also telling you these are minimum requirements that you have to have you have to be able to evacuate an aircraft in 90 seconds yes Japanese speakers know that ZO means elephant in Japanese. ZO Digital Japan is an SEO and digital marketing agency based in Tokyo Contact them to help your business grow traffic by four times, seven times, and even ten times in one year with services such as SEO, content marketing, pay-per-click advertising, and more. Head to the website zodigital.jp and look for the elephant logo. How do you effectively fill up an airplane day after day? It just seems like a hard job because the planes fly every single day, completely full or they're completely empty, they're there. So there's pressure to fill up these airplanes. How do you do that? (laughs) How much time do you have? Explain it to a real layperson, though. You don't have to get into all the economic KPIs or anything like that, but just in a a nutshell. So being able to sell or make sure your offer is in different sales channels and distribution channels 
making sure that your product is available for booking to different market segments. And what I mean, let's start with market segments. So as I mentioned before, you have the business traveler, for example. That's a specific market segment. So we talk and we negotiate with corporations and we, we offer them corporate contracts. And we do those corporate contracts here with ANA together. So if you have a corporate contract with Lufthansa Group, it's normally also with ANA together. So you can mix and match your travel flying ANA in one direction and Lufthansa in the other direction, whatever. You have also the online travel agencies like the Expedias of the world. So we talk to Expedia, uh, we talk to travel agencies that are booking individual passengers. We put different types of loyalty agreements in place with them so that they're actively selling Lufthansa. My job is to make sure all of these things are in place in the different channels and with the different market segments so that pulls passengers into your flight so that you can fill them. Uh, There's a lot of revenue management uh, behind that, booking classes that are open and closed, cheaper prices, lower prices, depending on demand. A lot of factors that go into that and influence Mm -hmm. the market segments that you can actually uh, market to, to to get on your flights. The other thing is tour operators, right? You deal with tour operators because they are putting together tour packages to Europe for either groups of passengers to Milan or to Paris or to the Christmas markets in Germany. And the tour operators come to you and they say, listen, next year we're going to sell packages to Italy, to Portugal. We're going to sell packages to England and we want Lufthansa to be part of that. So give us your price. That's the way you're gaining volume. There's also meetings, incentive travel, conventions. You have people that are going to visit friends and family. For example, there's a large population here in Japan that travels to Brazil because there's a lot of Japanese that, as you know, many, many years ago emigrated to Brazil and they come back and forth. It's a huge revenue stream for us. There's quite a few passengers on every one of our flights. Is it faster to go from Japan to Germany to Brazil or from Japan to Los Angeles to Brazil? Which is faster? It's almost equidistant, so it's about the same. It'll just depend on the connections. The difference is is in Germany, in Frankfurt, you don't have to come into the country and then go out again. The U.S. is a little different that you have to then come into the country and then go out again. So it's a lot more of a hassle to fly via the U.S. With us, you stay in this transfer zone, and Mm -hmm. we have also good connections. You're flying in both directions with really a two-hour layover, so it's very easy to to, to go. That's why we're actually the market leader in that particular market segment. I never thought of that. We have a factory, a knife factory in Seki, which is near Nagoya. Sometimes my colleagues will come from Germany and they'll fly into Nagoya on Lufthansa. And I always thought, wow, Lufthansa flies to Nagoya. Must be because of the automotive industry. But the majority of Brazilians that are in Japan are in the Nagoya area. Correct. So that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, I have to bring this up. The aviation industry has been the hardest hit from the COVID pandemic. But Lufthansa seems to have done a very good job weathering the crisis. From a passenger's perspective, what steps has Lufthansa taken to deal with the pandemic? The the main steps you take, of course, is to make sure customers feel safe. Keeping separation, for example, upon boarding, that you're maybe changing your 
service on board, to have perhaps less of a touch point with the customer, to have things delivered maybe in a more consolidated form than not. So there's a, we, we looked at every aspect of how does a customer interact with us along the journey and at what customer touch points do we need to create an atmosphere of, of, of safety. Is there a requirement now to fly that you have a PCR test a certain amount of hours before the flight or have a proof of vaccination or is there anything like that right now? No. All of these regulations are made by countries and we, we just need to make sure that we know all of the different regulations that are coming up per country, which makes our business or let's say our process, I think, much more complicated because you have to make sure that you understand if this customer can travel or not to this yeah. country given that they have or have not a PCR test or they have two vaccines or they don't. So countries are, are making it very difficult for airlines right now. And that's why sometimes the, the, the check-in process might be slower than you expect or the right. arrival process. Do these people have the right prerequisites? Yeah. And what are the right prerequisites? They change so we have daily, to look maybe. And they change daily, definitely. Right. But also, like I said, doing things that make the customer feel like we're, we're paying attention. Unfortunately, it also affects the level of hospitality. Probably there's some compromises that have to be made on the service level, but it's not with Lufthansa. It's with every every airline, of yes. course. Yeah. Well, we did just make the decision that we want all of our flight crews to be vaccinated, and that'll be part of the reality for our flight crews. They have to be vaccinated, not only to protect customers, but to protect themselves. Exactly. I have this segment on my podcast I do from time to time, which I call my free unsolicited business idea. Okay. <laughs> and I have one for you. The Lufthansa Oktoberfest. You procure one aircraft from Germany for a couple of weeks, maybe one of your new A350s, maybe even an A380, and you park it at a remote but accessible spot at Haneda Airport block off an area around the plane with lots of tables but socially distanced and you hold an Oktoberfest dinner or maybe lunches on the weekends lots of German beer German music the food would be based on the first class and business class in-flight meals the waitresses could wear the traditional Bavarian dirndl participants are encouraged to go into the airplane walk around, sit down in business class, test out the seats. They can use the bathrooms, of course. You give away the amenity kits and other Lufthansa goods. Lots of Instagrammable opportunities. Hashtag Lufthansa Oktoberfest. Of course, one condition is everyone has to show proof of vaccination. All participants in the Lufthansa Oktoberfest event are offered a special discount to fly to Germany for a set period of time. Guests get to try out the Lufthansa product. It's great PR, lots of social mentions, future sales potential. I'm getting excited just talking about it. I can it. see that. What say you, Don? I think it's a great idea. Fantastic idea. <laughs> um, Oktoberfest always sells. Yeah, it's one of these big phenomenon around the world that no matter where I've lived, there's always been Oktoberfests. People love Oktoberfest. And it's great to connect it with Lufthansa, you know, the hometown airline of the uh, the biggest uh, 
one of the biggest hometown parties in the world, right? Oktoberfest. Sure. I think it's a great idea. We would love to do something like that because you're right. It brings it brings people engagement with with your product, with your brand. Like you said, they can go to go on board, test out the seats, but you can have some fun while doing. It. I think it's a great idea. Is it possible? It depends. It's possible in different places. One of the things you you need to know is airports have a lot of security. And airplanes have to land at airports, right? right? So I said remote, a remote it, location. It, it is rem- it's remote, but you you have to make sure that you get the airport's authority yeah. to have people access the airport grounds uh, to get to the plane. And we can do that in in our hubs in Frankfurt and Munich because there's places where you can park the aircraft. It would be more difficult here because we, we, we would have to find a, a remote spot in one of the airports. You'd have to get the authorities to approve it. And they're typically not so flexible here with those things, to be honest. But otherwise, but it's a great, it's a great idea. And, and we have done those types of things. The one thing you have to know is that a plane only makes money for the airline if it's flying. So right. you don't want to have it too long on the ground. Probably not all of your planes are flying. No, they're not. Right. So if they're parked somewhere, Mm. might as well park it and create an event around it. Yeah. Because the PR that you get from it, I mean, that creates value. It does. In a way. Yeah. Don, thank you very much for taking your time today. Like you, I'm a huge aviation fan. I'm a a big geek about airplanes. I have tons of other things to talk about, but wouldn't really be applicable for anybody except for you and me, (laughs) probably. But I appreciate your time and your insight, and thanks for explaining about all that you do for Lufthansa. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that was Don Bunkenberg, the Senior Director of the Lufthansa Group for Japan and Korea. Maybe it's just me, but his job sounds like a lot of fun. Before the pandemic, I flew to Germany around four or five times a year, often on Lufthansa. And I can confirm what Don spoke about in terms of quality of service and in-flight experience. I sure do miss traveling. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to hear more fascinating guest episodes, go to nowandzen.jp and browse over 40 insightful conversations. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave a star rating or even a comment would be appreciated. Thanks, everyone.